Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Alan and Aaron Sportsbook. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Alan and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. It is Friday, June 3rd, 2022. It is the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast presented by Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting, you may need a support group. And tonight, uh, of course, we've got a lot of sports news to get to. Alan joins me here this evening. Uh, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Really glad to be here Friday night with you doing another show, the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. It's good to be back in the studio. Of course, uh, last week uh, you caught me as I was driving down uh, I-75 heading toward uh, heading towards Atlanta. Uh, so it's good to be back in uh, in a uh, spot where I'm not having to move around quite so much. So uh, a lot of things have happened in the last week in the world of sports. Uh, we'll get to a lot of those things here tonight. Um, obviously, uh, breaking news out of the Major League Baseball world with um, uh, first manager of the year getting uh, getting the pink slip. We'll talk a little bit about that. We've got the NBA and the NHL playoffs going on, uh, as well as some tragic news out of the NFL. We're going to talk a little bit about golf, a little bit of uh, boxing at the end as well. And, uh, of course, um, every week, uh, almost every week, we always have our good buddy Lou uh, join us. And he is, uh, he is actually on the line with us now. Good evening, Lou. How are you? Thanks, fellas. Nice to be on. Good awesome. to have you on. All right. Yeah. Well, let's see. We got the finals of the NBA and a very weird game with that. You know, just when you thought that maybe that the Warriors are going to pull it out and take game one, along comes the fourth quarter, and the Celtics, you know, come back and blow them out. Very strange game, if I do say so. Then again, it's been a very strange playoffs as far as the Celtics have been concerned anyway. Yeah, it it, it was shocking that, that the Warriors, they played so well for three quarters and then basically got shut down in the fourth quarter. Steph Curry looked like he was going to get his finals MVP the way it started, but the Celtics pulled it out. And now I have to say the Warriors are kind of in a hole, you know, being down 0-1. I know that it's just the first game. I know it's just the first game, and you don't want to kind of Mm -hmm. overreact, but we're not used to the Warriors losing the first game of a series and not losing the way they, they lost kind of like, got shut down in the fourth quarter. I'm glad you called yeah. me. So, so in, your, in your point of view, comparing, that's one of the questions we had this evening. Who do you think is in the worst spot, the Warriors being down 0-1 or the, Bolt, or the Lightning being down 0-1? Wait, wait, you mean the Bolt of Lightning? You mean um... – I think the Lightning. the Lightning. I mean, cause the Rangers have the Rangers have a better goaltender, and uh, you know, not to sound biased or anything, but uh, you know, the Rangers, you know, they have the they have the best they do have the best goaltender, and uh, the Lightning, I think, can uh, hold up much to it. Even though right now it's only a one goal lead, the Rangers, uh, you know, still have it. They're great at home and whatnot. So uh, I think the light the Lightning are more of a predicament here. Good, I hope so. What do you think, Aaron? Well, I mean, both both of these teams are teams that have a lot of success in the playoffs recently. Obviously, you know, we know what Tampa has done the last two years in a row in the NHL, and then 
Golden State in the NBA. Um, it's been a few more than just a couple of years ago, but you know they they've got a history there. So I, I don't think that they're I don't think they're they're scared or anything like that. I think this is uh, probably actually right where they want to be uh, in both situations. Um, you know, you let the other team kind of think they've got it going in their favor, and then you let that momentum kind of come back to your side. So I'm I wouldn't be concerned if I was a fan of either either organization being behind at this point. I think that um, it, it, it's early, you know, it's not like this is a three games to one or three games to nothing lead for one team or the other. So I think, again, the experience is going to be the big thing. Um, not, um, you know, not, uh, you know, worrying about being behind. That's going to be a big factor for both sides as well. And, again, the experience is the big thing that matters uh, at this point. Yeah, and definitely it does matter. I think I, for some reason, I think the Warriors are in, in more hot water than the Lightning. I think the Lightning, they I have been down. I want to. He's a little well, biased. Everybody thought man. that the, everybody <laughs> there was going to be a little problem with the Mavericks, when the Mavericks were, you know, if the Mavericks are going to win, the Warriors are just fine. Okay, they lost game four, but so what? I mean, you had, you had to give them one game, but uh, the way I see it, the Warriors are just doing just fine. So. They can bounce back from that. You know, they'll bounce back from this. I see no trouble. I still see them winning this series. You don't see – you don't see – I'm sorry, you don't – I don't see the Celtics winning this series. I really don't. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a fan of either team, uh, but I'm certainly not a fan of Golden State. Boston hasn't won uh, NBA Finals since what year? Was it – did they did they win one in the eighties or were we going back to the seventies? Twenty okay, it was okay. So it was more recent than that. Um I mean look at Golden State's won what three three or four in the last like five or six years. So, you yeah. know, this is kinda this is kinda in a sense kinda like the Patriots getting yeah, the Super Bowl all those years. Everybody's tired of seeing them win. And you want to see somebody who hasn't been there in a while or hasn't done it lately, uh, pick up the win. So that's that's where I'm at. I, I feel like um seeing Boston yeah. Would be a nice thing. Well, you know, we had Bruce Gellin, the NBA expert, and we both, me and Bruce, actually agreed that the we felt the Celtics on paper are probably a better team than the Warriors because of their size. But we both agreed that the playoff experience was going to make a big factor. So we felt as if maybe the Celtics had a little bit better team, but both of us agreed at the end of the day that the Warriors are going to win the series. So I'm still sticking with that. I still think the Warriors are going to pull us out and win the series. But I am I am a little surprised that they lost game one in the way they lost game one. But it is a long series. At least at least Lou made me feel better. Yeah. I, I felt bad that the that the Lightning lost game one. It could have been Rust. It could have been the Rangers coming on strong. But it is what it is. They were down 0-1. So you think the, the Lightning still have a good shot? Yeah, I hope not. I I, I, do. I think they do. I mean, look, the, the, like I said, and I said this the last three shows in a row, the, the best team they've played so far in this postseason has been Toronto, and they were able to beat them in seven games. So now you go down two games to nothing, that's going to be a different story. Now now you're starting to – you have to really think of how you're going to manage a game and what your strategy is going to be going forward because your season is shortened out of two games and potentially five. So um, I, I – I think Tampa can get back in it. I think you got to win game two. I think it's a must win in my opinion. Not saying you can't yeah. come back and win if you're down two games to none, but you, you really need to. to Why not? We did. 
to swap to swap, yeah. swap the momentum around, you got to win game two. And I think once you do that, it, it can really move in your favor pretty quickly. Yeah, it is. It is Rangers two, the Lightning one. Period number two. So there is still time left. It, it seems like it's close right now. But yeah, we, we you know, <laughs> it's time will tell. But at least we we do feel as if the, the Lightning are in better shape than the Celtics. <laughs> and the Celtics are up 1-0. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so Lou. One game doesn't make it. One game doesn't make a series. You know what? But I got to give you credit. You said that the Rangers are going to come back down 3-2 to win the series, and lo and behold, they sure enough did. I got to give you credit. Yeah, that was a very bold uh, prediction last uh, last time around. And it came. It came. And I guaranteed that win, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. They're they're they're. Uh, you was right. It's uh, definitely right. And they come, oh, it's come down. Oh, it's with that hat trick. <laughs> yeah. So Lou knows what he's talking about. There you go. <laughs> so you're you're up north. <laughs> you're up north. How was the uh, fans, the the Ranger fans, when they number one won this series and coming up one zero? How how was the fans sitting out oh, right now? The fans now? are going nuts. Fans okay. are going nuts. I mean, everybody thinks that uh, no, New York doesn't like uh, hockey. You want you want to bet? Ah. That's right. It comes now. You know, whenever it's you know, right, no matter what's no what's for us, football, basketball, hockey, or baseball. If our if our team is in the, in the deep rounds of the playoffs, they really get into it. Yeah, they're doing great. You know, I got to give them credit. They're doing really, really well. And they just gotta, yeah. They, you know, I they rode the high streak and got game one, and they got game one in pretty convincing fashion. Six so, two. Now, of course, you're not going to have that every game. I mean, don't get me wrong here. I mean, there's going to be games where it's going to be more like a deep, uh, close, you know, like a defensive battle. I mean, it's great they got, you know, six goals uh, Wednesday night, but uh, I'm not expecting that, you know, to be every game of this series. That's crazy. So, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to have games like that. You're going to have games that are close. You're going to have games that, like, where nobody's running until late. So, that's, you know, that's just how it goes, especially in the playoffs. Because when you face a team, you know, for so many games in a row, you get used to each other and you know how they're going to operate. So now they got to just try to figure out a way to outsmart them. Yeah, you're right about that. I'm glad you called, Lou. You know, we're going to talk to our major league expert, and that's Aaron in a few moments, but I want to get your thoughts on them. Uh, Joe Girardi being the first fatality as far as being fired from from his team. Well, the way the Phillies have been going this year so far, I'm not surprised. I mean, I thought maybe it'd be the Reds manager that would get the X first because they're pathetic. But, you know, Girardi, you know, he isn't the same as he's been with the Yankees and whatnot. And, you know, I think i got to agree with the, um, with the manager that it's time for a new voice and a new voice in the clubhouse. So uh, I think it's time for Girardi to go. Hey, Joe, want to come back to New York? <laughs> So what are your thoughts, Aaron? Well, I mean, I I look at it this way. Um, 
think this was his third year there, if I remember correctly. I think he got hired before 2020. Going into his third year. Going into his third yeah. year. So I saw us earlier today. Uh, Philadelphia has, I think, the fifth highest payroll in Major League Baseball. This is yeah. a club who hasn't been to the playoffs since 2011. Um, yeah. And you look at the look at some of the names they have on this team. I mean, Bryce Harper obviously is the highest paid player on the club. You've got uh, you've got uh, uh, Wheeler, uh, the uh, Zach Wheeler, the pitcher they signed a year or two back. Uh, you brought in Kyle Schwarber. Um, you've got all these big contracts and nothing to really show for it. And they they've been a mediocre team. Like they've been kind of a 500ish team maybe a little above 500 yeah. the first half of the year, the last two years, and then they just fall apart in the second half. And I think a lot of it really is they don't have depth in the right areas. Um, it's one thing to have depth, but you got to have it in the right spot. And I think that mm-hmm. part of the problem is, honestly, with the Phillies is they've got, they've got stars at the right spots. You know, Har- Har- Harper's obviously a big name. I will go out on, on a, a strong limb here and say this, though. I don't think that having a team of superstars – necessarily equates to winning a championship you can have one or two of them out there but you know it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up winning the whole thing and I think the big the big problem I see with Philadelphia is they've had a lot of turnover with some of their younger players um you know Alec Baum has been a, a decent prospect at third base but he's not really developed into what he was thought to be you know they look, this guy is a 30 35 home run a year guy clean up hitter type and he just hasn't really been able to put it together, and then they got uh, JT Real Muto behind the plate, probably one of the best catchers in the game. And, I mean, they're not putting it all together, and their pitching has been, outside of Zach Wheeler, suspect in my mind. So I think that they probably looked at it. I think I think Girardi came into this year with his seat kind of already warm. They got off to a slow start. It started to heat up. And then we heard some of the, the chatter for the last probably week or so that it might be just a matter of time. And – I think what they're probably looking at is this, because some people will say, well, why don't you just wait till the end of the season and, and do it then? Well, this is still a salvageable year. I mean, we're, all, we're not even yeah. hardly a third of the way. Well, I don't think we're even officially a third of the way through the season at this point. So We are. We have we are 54 games? Okay. So we're, I think well, we're a third of the way. Yeah, give or take. Well, we're at least, we're at least a third of the way there. Yeah, 54 would be a third of the way. So if we're at 54, roughly in that range, we're at the one-third of the way mark of the year. There's still a lot of time to turn things around. And I'll, I'll go back and use this as a reference point. 2003, the Marlins, nobody thought they had a chance of being a playoff team. Jeff Torberg got fired around, uh, I don't know, July, June or July of that year. They brought in Jack McKeon. The rest is history. They end up winning the World Series against the Yankees. So I think that they're know, looking at it this way. We need, a, we need a fresh face. We need a fresh voice um, to come in. And you Well, know, how many games were they out then when they um... – when they got fired, when they fired the manager. Uh, when Torberg got fired in '03, I, I couldn't tell you. I'd have to look that up. But they they were pretty far okay, back. Because uh, the Phillies are 12 and a half back on the Mets. Yeah. Well, keep in mind too that Miami they were the Florida Marlins then, same same franchise, just different name right. they went by. Um, they ended up winning the wild card, and they had to do everything on the road too that year. They ended up beating Koo uh, um, in that game. Um, the play at the plate. Uh, with Pudge Rodriguez, and I think it was Jeff Conine who made the throw from uh, from left field. They ha- they had to do it in, you know, overwhelmingly convincing fashion because they ended up beating Chicago. They were down three games to one to the Cubs. Um, you know, obviously we know what happened there, and then no one really gave them much of a chance against the Yankees that year, and they just they 
stunned everybody. So yeah, yeah, they dominated the Yankees too. They 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 whipped the Yankees, and that's my team. They they put a hurting on the Yankees. It's almost as if it was like the varsity team playing the junior varsity team. Their pitching staff was just unbelievable. And then juniors varsity won. Oh, and yeah. Here's, here's the difference. You want to look at those two teams. Uh, the Marlins that year, I'm going back and looking. Uh, they had uh, see here. They had Josh Beckett. He was a rookie. They had uh, uh, Miguel Cabrera. He was also a rookie. This was a very young team that Miami had uh, back in uh, 2003. The difference, though, their pitching staff versus Philadelphia's here in 2022, almost 20 years later. You had uh, Dondre Willis, who was a rookie. You had Beckett, who was a rookie. You had um, I think AJ Burnett was on that club. Um, I'm trying to remember, there's one other big name that was on that team. It might have been uh, Carl Milano. No, Sheffield had been gone from from the uh, from the Marlins for yeah. five years by then. I think Carl Pavano was on that team, if I remember correctly, though. And Matt uh, Matt Clement was with the Cubs. Um, Carl Pavano, I think, is the other one I was thinking of. I mean, they had they had a lot of depth, and they had a good. The big thing that made a difference for them, though, was in the second half of the season, they went out and got Uget Urbina from from Texas. And he ended up being – really, it was just that year, but he ended up being one of the best closers down the stretch in the second half of the season. So that really helped, uh, that really helped the, um, the Marlins accomplish what they did. That, that honestly is one of the great feats because that team, going into that season, not, nobody thought they were going to be a playoff team. I remember when Ivan Rodriguez signed with, um, with the Marlins. I think he had left Texas the year before. And it was kind of one of those things where why'd you go to Miami of all places? It was just a one-year deal. But what what's intriguing about going to play in Miami? It's outside. It's hot. It rains right. every day. Games get like rain delayed all the time. Bad yeah. baseball team. It's a young team, and probably one of the best examples of why young baseball is better than old baseball. So <laughs> yeah. So at least you see that it's not over yet. I think no, Phillies, not at all. The Phillies had to make a move. And I think it's probably better that they made his move sooner than later. I really like Joe Girardi. I've, I've actually, Joe Girardi's actually very fan friendly. I've gotten a couple of his autographs. So, you know, props to Joe Girardi for that. It's just a, a, like to Aaron's point, they have a big payroll and usually they don't fire the players. They fire the manager. I think it's still enough time in the season for you to make a, a run. If you get hot, Yes, they're they're twelve games, twelve games back as we speak, but there's still over hundred games left to play. So if you get hot, yeah, you can position yourself to at least I'll make the, the Orioles or the Reds. Yeah, you can position yourself to to at least make the wild card. And I'm always a believer that when it comes to playoffs, you just have to think about getting into playoffs. Once things happen in the once yeah. you get in the playoffs, it's another season. So yeah, yeah, anything can happen. Anything well, can yeah. happen in the playoffs. Yes, you may not have home field advantage and you may have a tougher road to get the championship, but it's a new season. And if you get hot during the postseason, you can end up beating teams that are that you're actually on paper are much better than you. Well, and all it takes, too, you look at, you look at the course the, of a regular the season. The Orioles, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, those are the two teams in the Pittsburgh Pirates, too, um, that are out. Well, you yeah, think yeah, about it this way, losers. You think about it this way. Um, 
you know, you, you see throughout the regular season, you, you might see a series where, let's say the Yankees, you know, they're obviously having a great start to the season, play somebody who's not as good, let's just say the Orioles, and say the Orioles somehow in a three-game series sweep the Yankees. It's that same mentality when you get into the playoffs. You know, you never know what can happen in baseball. 162 chances a year, there's a lot of things that can occur. So that same thing can happen in the playoffs. It's not as probable, obviously. It's more more unlikely, but, yes, it can happen. Oh, absolutely. Things things can happen. You're right about that. Yeah. So, yeah, Lou, so what do you got cooking on your show tomorrow? Well, let's see. Where do we get well, let's let's put it this way first of all. This month is a big month because it's championship month. Now, a lot of people think it's March, but you're crazy. This is a championship month. Now, let me give you a small sample of what's going to happen. I mean, we got the French Open uh, finals this weekend. We got the NBA finals. We got the NHL uh, conference finals uh, coming up. Um, yeah, we got that. Uh, we'll also look back at the uh, Wild Sunday in auto racing with the Eighty five hundred and the Coca Cola six hundred. Why gonna do a Pepsi Cola six hundred? That's all I want to know, huh? Come on. <laughs> um, uh, also, if there's any college baseball fans out there, we're gonna take maybe a little bit of a look at the college baseball playoffs that leads to the College World Series uh, later this month. So hey, I mean, you know, we've got a whole bunch of stuff, and there's gonna be more throughout the month. You know, we've got Wimbledon. Uh, we'll have the we'll have the World Series. We'll have the. Um, we also have uh, the Belmont Stakes coming up next week, so June is going to be a very it's going to be a very good month for sports fans. So if you got time between now and the end of the month and beyond, uh, call the Enhanced Sports Show five one two five four three four six six two from five to seven p.m. By the way, thanks for calling in last week because I really needed it. Hey, you're very welcome. That's definitely, you know, we're here to support you and definitely. We appreciate you, so no problem at all. I'm glad I could call in and, and make the show. And folks that are listening, you need yeah. to call in too. Saturday, that's tomorrow, from 5 to 7 Eastern Standard Time Zone, the Enhanced Sports Show. That's live. Starring, Keep that in mind, folks. It's live. Yep. Starring my good buddy Lou. And his phone number again is 512-543-4662. 562 Toll free. I called in. You guys get should do the same. We'll get you right on through. You bet. All right. So it's, like I said, it's gonna be a big month. So look, you, you might want to call in. Absolutely, definitely yeah. call in and speak to our good buddy Lou. All right, fellas. Thanks. You're very welcome. Thank yeah, you Lou. Have much. a great night. Yeah. <laughs> great weekend too, buddy. Thank you so much, Lou. All right. Thanks yeah. to our good buddy, Lou, for giving us a call here tonight. And, again, uh, if you are listening or free here tomorrow night uh, between the hours of uh, Lou, it's 530 to 730, uh, his show is also available for your entertainment purposes and, of course, to discuss the world of sports. Um, so we want to get back to the uh, the subject we talked about there before, Joe Girardi. Um, prized, Alan, at this decision, or was this – something you thought was uh, on the horizon. I thought it was on the horizon and, you know, there was rumors going around, you know, when you have a big payroll, this is something that you see as being a big Yankee fan and managed being on the hot seat. It's something that you're accustomed to. 
Joe Girardi was on the hot seat with a big payroll. I thought they were going to probably give it a little bit more time, but I think they're thinking the same way you're thinking, that it's still enough time in the season that if we cut bait now, we can spark the team. A lot of times people get – a lot of times managers get fired not so much because they're doing such a bad job. They get fired to kind of spark the team. And I think that was kind of the combination of the two things. The Mets have a good lead, a very good lead, but nobody's out of it at this point. You still got over 100 games to go. And, yeah, I, I was not surprised that, that Joe Girardi, unfortunately, did get fired for his job. Yeah, I think the timing is a little bit, a uh, little bit, you know, didn't think it would happen. Like, coming into the year, I didn't think it would happen like this. You know, I, I honestly suspected maybe um, what happens in a normal season is a manager doesn't get fired till at least June or July. But it does happen, and actually, you go back with Atlanta. You go back to when they fired Freddie Gonzalez in 2016, and it was like the second week of May that year, and that's when Brian Snicker took over, and he's been there ever since. And, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. It's not necessarily the horrible job that the manager's doing. It's, hey, the, the team is, doesn't have any spark. You know, they need, to, they need to get something to spark the team to play better. And that doesn't always work. We've seen other situations where they, they teams will play just as poorly. Um, but this is a team, and, and this is kind of to the point that all of us made here tonight, high payroll, high expectations. I mean, this is not a – this isn't the Kansas City Royals. No, no offense to them. This isn't the Kansas City Royals or the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Baltimore Orioles. They're teams that have a lot of potential in the future. This is a team that went out and spent a lot of money to win. And if you look at the NL East, I mean, outside of Atlanta, it's been really kind of wide open the last couple of years. I know the Braves have won the division the last four years in a row, but prior to that, you know, you had the Mets were in the World Series in what, 2015. Um, you had the Nationals win it here uh, three years ago. Atlanta, of course, won last year. So um, they're trying to get back to the days that they had that were so great, uh, you know, 12, 15 years ago when you had uh, the great pitching they had. You had, uh, of course, the late Ray Holiday was there. Um, you had the early days of um, – uh, well, you had a couple of years where you had uh, Cliff Lee. Uh, you had Cole Hamels there for several years. Um Roy Oswalt was there. They had some really great pitching that's come through there, and I think what they're trying to do is reinvent that same type of dominant atmosphere, and the money they spent they thought was going to help them out. And this is the thing I kind of always point to. Now, yes, you're going to see success we've seen with the Yankees, the Dodgers, some of these other teams. This goes to show you, though, that spending a lot of money doesn't always translate to wins. Um, We've seen other clubs that have done this, and they've run into – run into roadblocks where they end up having to either eat that money and get rid of guys. or they have to try to find a creative way to trade them. So, um, you know, for, for the Phillies, and I know plenty of people in my friends list that are Phillies fans. Um, it's probably a bittersweet moment for a lot of them here at this point. Cause I, I like George Girardi. I think he's an excellent manager. He's a great baseball guy. I mean, you think about some of the teams he played on in the nineties, he was on that 96 Yankees world series team that won one over Atlanta, um, been around for a long time. And he's, again, I, I think he's a perfect manager for a baseball team. So wouldn't be surprised to see him get another chance somewhere down the line. He's still fairly young. You know, he's not an old guy at this point, uh, maybe compared to you and I is, but I, I think he has uh, maybe a one more run left in him where he could get another job and, and have some success. 
Yeah, Joe Girardi is a great baseball mind. He's a former catcher. He's a champion. So he's he's going to get another opportunity. This is a bump in the road for him. I know he loves to manage. He's a great guy, great guy in the community, too. No matter where he goes, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting Joe Girardi and getting his autograph actually a few times. So props to Joe Girardi. And, you know, it's unfortunate. I hate to see a guy you know and, and really cool with lose their gig. But it's something that you kind of saw it coming. Nobody, no manager wants to keep hearing every time they show up to the the ballpark, your job's in jeopardy, your job's in jeopardy. Sometimes it's good just to get a clean break so you don't have to hit it every day. Yeah. And when you have a when you have a big payroll, unfortunately, this happens. I know Joe knows that being from New York. So I definitely wish him the best. Back to what you, your point as far as spending money, it doesn't necessarily mean wins. Like to me, Bryce Harper is a big part of their payroll. I think Bryce Harper, with all due respect, is a is a good baseball player. I don't think he's a great baseball player. What I mean by that is he does have power, but he strikes out a lot. He strikes out a lot, and he's gotten a little bit better as far as being a team player. It took a while for him to get there to mature. But I, I just think that if you're going to spend money on players, you got to do more than just try to get guys that make a big splash because of their name. You got to look at their stats. You got to get, I like guys that hit for power, but I like guys that also hit for average too. Meaning I want you to have a pretty decent average and be able to drive the ball in a ballpark when necessary, but you can't strike out a bunch of times. I just think Bryce Harper strikes out way too much. Well, I mean, he was the MVP last year. I think that's a big, big thing to add into this. I don't blame Bryce Harper for this happening. I blame, I, I really probably blame the front office as much as I blame the field managing. Cause he, here's, here's the one you could say this about other sports too, but it's especially important in baseball because of the fact that you're not just together for six months during the regular season. When you play 162 games, your goal, of course you're, you're, you're together for six weeks before the season even starts with training camp and, and with uh, spring training, your goal is to be there through the end of October. So realistically, you could be spending eight and a half months together throughout the course of a year. So the most important thing about baseball isn't, as everybody says, pitching. It is, it is if you're going to pinpoint one particular part of the roster as pitching. The most important thing about a baseball team is chemistry. And that, that's what made guys like Joe Torrey and Bobby Cox, and um, I could name a bunch of other managers off here, but those are the two most prominent ones. That's what made them such good managers because they knew every year their roster was going to have some turnover to some degree. They knew how to get the best out of the players they have. And the point that I've made with Bryce Harper a few times, he left Washington after 2018. He went to Philadelphia. He went for the big buck. He could have stayed in Washington. They, they offered him some money. And for him, it was all about getting the biggest contract rather than the place that – chemistry-wise, fit him the best. Watch what happens in Washington after he leaves. I actually think that the Nationals were a better team. I know people might call me crazy to say this, but the proof's in the pudding. They were a better team after he left. They won the World Series, and they have, in my opinion, they have the best player in baseball on their team right now in, uh, in Juan Soto. And I think that some of the clubhouse cancel or cancer that sometimes Bryce Harper can be followed him over to Philadelphia. Now you've got a team that has some other guys with kind of big egos 
And don't get me wrong, I think Bryce Harper's a great player. Um, but I, I think at the same time, one one guy out of 25 or 26 guys on your roster does not make your whole team up. So I, I, that, that's kind of where I'm at on that. Yeah, and, and you're, to your point, that's, that's exactly right. He left, and they won the World Series, and that's the thing. I, I agree with you. I think – I think sometimes when you have that, that big ego and guy thinks he's all that, that wears down a team. And, you know, guys, don't, it don't bother them for like a, maybe a couple of weeks. But if you're like this all the time, it wears on you because you're like, oh, man, this guy's about himself and looking good rather than team play. And I agree with you. I think that they're watching him. They, they won a World Series the year after he left. I mean, if that's not a slap in your face, I don't know what it is. Yes, he, he is a great player in, in that regard. Like, yes, he can have a stellar season and get an MVP, can get an MVP again this year. He does have that potential. But I just think all the baggage that he brings with it, with him, hurts the team more than anything. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree. And I think that he was, he was better off if he had stayed in Washington. And I don't know that they would have won the World Series that year. Certainly would have made their lineup a lot easier to manage if you were um, Dave Martinez that year. But um, it, it, this is a good point though to make because I think there's a lot of times where, and, and I'll use this as an example, the better Yankees teams were those ones in the late '90s, '96, '98, '98 especially. That was a great team. I mean, that might have been. Yeah. That was one of the top three teams in the history of, of the game. They won 114 games in the regular season. If you count their playoff wins that year, they won 125. And hate me, Yankees fans, for saying this. I'm sure there's a lot of you listening out there, and Alan, don't hate me for saying this. Outside of Derek Jeter, they didn't have any superstars on that team. They really didn't. You, you go back and look at that team. You, you could you could count, I suppose, uh, Mariano Rivera as a superstar, uh, as a as a relief pitcher or as a closer. But you had Scott Brocious as your third baseman. You had um, Tino Martinez as your first baseman. He was an all-star caliber first baseman. Um, I believe uh, Posada was already behind the plate in 98, if I'm not mistaken. Chuck Knobloch. Chuck Knobloch was in second. And he, that was the year he was having the issue throwing the ball to first base. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, and, and, you know, Bernie Williams was an excellent player. I'm not saying that they didn't have good players on their team or all-stars on their team, but they didn't have the superstars that you started to sign as you got later into the decade uh, or, or early part of the 2000s when you went out and got Chiambi and you picked up A-Rod and you had Sheffield and – my my point to that is spending money doesn't necessarily mean you're spending it the right way. And also having a collection of an all-star player or a superstar player at every position, typically there's a lot of ego that goes along with that. And I think that that probably wore on uh, Joe Torre in the last two or three years. He was there probably as much as it could have on anybody. So um, I think the point to that is that, you know, sometimes you need guys that are role players. And I, I – I look back here 25, almost 25 years later, and, you know, they had more success with Scott Brocious at third base than they did with A-Rod at third base. So that just kind of tells you that it doesn't necessarily mean that Brocious was a better player, but he fit that team chemistry-wise better than A-Rod did at least at one point. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it, winning is a lot about curbing your ego, getting along with people. That is just as important as it is playing. And that's the thing. When you – have those superstar players, you know, just like when you watch that movie, Major League, Major League, you watch that movie, you get guys that have that big ego, it wears a team. It wears, guys want to fight, it just wears on your team. And 
you made of a great example as far as the Yankees. You know, you didn't have anybody with a huge ego. Everybody got along. They played great as a unit. And everybody, nobody was about themselves. They knew their role. They played their role well. You had the great combination of young players with, with some vets on the team. And it just gelled together. A lot of times I love seeing that a lot more than I like seeing a bunch of superstars because, you know, the superstars are there to look good. And that's a lot of times, I mean, there are exceptions to the rule, but usually when you want a great team, you got to have a lot of no-name guys. And that's why the Rays always do well because they, they don't have a lot of superstars. And they just guys who are just trying to make it. And you need that. And without the ego, that's very deadly on a baseball team. Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct, uh, for sure. And, and again, I think as I mentioned before, the under, under, underlying thing here is chemistry. Um, that's what's made, you know, you look at Joe Madden now, maybe not so much while he's in uh, with the Angels, but what made him such a great manager, both in Tampa and of course, uh, why he was so attractive for the Cubs to pick up several years ago to uh, get them to where they ended up going, is chemistry is also something that is manageable, and you have to create the right atmosphere in the clubhouse. As I mentioned before, 162 games is a lot of baseball to play throughout the season. Nine innings a game. Um, sometimes you go into extra innings. Sometimes you're playing in extreme heat, uh, weather conditions that are just not what normal people would want to go play in. And you have to have somebody who creates an atmosphere of, you know, trying to keep a, a, a fun culture. And you think about the culture, too. I mean, 25 or 26 guys on our roster – a lot of times there's a lot of different backgrounds in there. So now you're having to manage people who are from different parts of the world, different parts of the country, raised differently. They have different things that they're into. So now you got to try to cultivate all that together and find a way to keep everybody happy, try to keep everybody loose. So that, that would be a good example, I think, of a manager who's, who does a good job of that kind of stuff. Um, again, maybe not quite so much in, uh, in Anaheim. It uh, hasn't been a very good uh, uh, ride for him so far there, but – that's just kind of how baseball goes. And it is one of those things where we kind of talked about it at the very beginning of the show. You still have a third, uh, two thirds of the season left. And if you feel like you can salvage it and have somebody new come in and turn things around, this is the right time. It definitely is still got a lot of baseball left and you know, the timing it's, it's early in the season, but it's not, I don't think too early. It's before the all-star break. And you know, it, it's, you still got over a hundred games to go. Might as well, you know, make a good run at it and get the team sparked up. And it's still, they still have time and they do have talent. So one thing they say, if you have more talent in your bus than someone else, you have a very good shot of winning. I know you used to say that all the time for the Yankees. So the Phillies are not out of it. And I think, you know, they might turn it around at this point. But definitely, you know, we want to give props to Joe Girardi. And one thing that we, we actually – did uh, fail to mention, and we wanted to make sure we do that to our fans, is we wanted to pay our respects to the late, great Dallas Cowboys running back, Marion Barber, who unfortunately did pass away at the age of 38 this week. So we want to go ahead and give a, a moment of silence in Marion Barber, the Dallas Cowboys late uh, running back, who has now passed. Moment of silence for him. Yeah, so definitely really sad news for Marion Barber. And 
you know, one of the things I did want to mention that they still have not determined what the cause of death is. I don't want to speculate on what that is or what it might have been. But one of the things I did want to mention is that um, I know people love to break stories of when something like this does happen, someone passes. Just for food for thought, if someone does pass, just mention that they unfortunately passed. You don't have to give their stats. You don't have to say that they didn't make a thousand yard rushing in a year. This is what another network, I'm not going to mention their name, said about Marion Barber when they had broke the news on Twitter that, you know, he never made a thousand yards and he passed away. I think that's very disingenuous, very no empathy. You know, this Marion Barber has friends, has family, has fans. You know, the main thing is the stats don't matter when it comes to somebody in the athletic field passing away. Yeah, no, I agree. That's the wrong time to bring that up. Maybe later on uh, would be more appropriate, but not at the time. Now, I, I think it'd be different if it was, um, you know, someone who had been like the all-time home run leader. That was something that we brought up uh, last year when Hank Aaron passed away. So I, I think it's a little bit different in that situation. But when it's a tragic passing like this, uh, he was an excellent player. I may add that in there too. But when it's something like this, it's tragic, unexpected. Uh, it's maybe an appropriate time to to be making mentions of those uh, statistical things that at this point mean absolutely nothing. Um, you know, this is somebody's uh, son, somebody's, uh, you know, family friend, former teammate. Um, so it's not the right time to be bringing that kind of stuff up. And we certainly send our condolences to his uh, friends and family. Of course, uh, as you mentioned, he was 38. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, definitely a, a heck of a player. You know, he did, he did, I mean, he did some great things for the Cowboys. I saw him quite a few of his games and, you know, he, he definitely played well. It's, it's unfortunate. You know, he was found uh, dead in his apartment and I was checking today to see if they released any details on the cause of death. They haven't as, as of yet, but definitely condolences go out to Marion Barber and his family, friends and teammates. So, you know, it's, it's been uh, not, not the, Best of times with with uh, things of that nature in in this this uh, this world, but hopefully it, it gets a lot better. Yeah, no, absolutely, that's a good point there for sure. But I did want to mention, you know, we had there was a lot of golf news that happened this week. I did want to talk about the first thing, which was Dustin Johnson decided to take. They, they said they basically said $125 million, $125 million signing bonus to play in the Saudi league. Now the caveat to that is by him agreeing to play in the Saudi league, he did lose the Royal bank of Canada. He did lose basically a sponsorship by him participating in an overseas tournament. And this did upset, of course, some of the PGA tour brass and you know I, I saw a lot of posts on social media about it and i wanted to give i didn't say what my opinion was and i was tempted to chime in a few few comments but i, I did not i said you know what <laughs> i'm gonna wait till we talk about this on on our show and then i'll get your opinion on it, aaron but I'll, I'll go first you know i know dustin johnson is 
a heck of a golfer. Couple things I'll mention. I think a couple things about Dustin Johnson. He's actually very fan friendly. On interviews, he does come off very standoffish, and he does. That's the the, I guess the theme that he portrays. But when you meet him, which I did get a chance to, to go ahead and meet him, at the Thurs at the Tuesday practice that I went to for the Valspar, and his own words, he had a you know a big crowd following him. He said, hey, guys, I, I would love to sign for you, and I am going to sign for you, but you have to wait till I finish putting because he had a putting coach with him that day during practice. So after he finished putting, he was a man of his word. He signed pictures, signed autographs for anybody who wanted it, took pictures, more than accommodating for a guy of his name, his statue, very fan-friendly, real cool, down-to-earth guy when you meet him off camera. Having said that, the Dustin Johnson I know was a very smart guy. And what I made by that is he had to know that by him taking this agreement of playing with the out the Saudis, that he was going to lose some sponsorships. And it, not only that, his kind of reputation and not only that, his relationship with the PGA Tour was going to be basically put on thin ice because of him making this move. He didn't do anything wrong, but people don't like competition. My thoughts on this is Dustin Johnson made the decision that's best for him and his family. And, you know, I know PGA Tour is not happy about it. I know his sponsorships are not happy about it either. But the man I know, the Dustin Johnson I see is a very smart guy. He had to think about this and said, you know what? I might lose a couple of dollars, but I'm going to be making millions. This was a cash grab. You know, he, he he didn't say it was a cash grab. He didn't say those words, but he kept saying this is such a great opportunity for him. And you can read between the lines, $125 million. So another thing is like this. When you are on tour for PGA Tour, in order for you to keep getting big checks, for those people who don't know, you have to be at least in the top 30. And if you're in the top 30, you get a, you get a nice payday, which is maybe – 50, 60, 75, 80, 100,000, but it pales in comparison if you win. If you win, you could get $2.5 million from the purse. A man had $125 million on the table. That is a hard thing to walk away from, and Dustin Johnson took it. And you know what? He's still doing what he loves, playing golf, and he's very good at it. So I don't hate on Dustin Johnson for, for doing what he, he did, and I, I'm not angry or bitter at him. I think he made his decision, and – it is what it is. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron? Well, I think I can understand the other side of it, where it's probably more political than anything else. So not not politics, left versus right, but more um, the things that go on in 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 Saudi Arabia, uh, basically, or the Saudi League. So I think that's probably where some of the the disappointment comes in. Um, is probably in that area. And you mentioned it was uh, one of his sponsors out of Canada that, that backed out on him. So I, I imagine that's probably where some of this has come from and some of the disappointment has come from is, you know, are you – and, again, I'm, I'm playing speculation here more than anything else. Are you trading value for for dollars is probably what some of these individuals are asking. And I think it's a fair question. I think it certainly is a fair question when you look at the record of, of that particular uh, area uh, of the world in terms of some of the things that go on there. Um, that's probably, again, where most of the, the questioning is coming in. So – um, 
call it fair, call it unfair, call it, you know, somewhere in between. That's probably where most of the animosity or most of the uh, disagreement is probably coming in is right there. Yeah, and, and that's what it is. It's a lot of this is political. I think if if it wasn't, let's say, named the Saudi League, but it was just the ABC League, and he decided to take $125 million there, I don't think people would be as upset. But yeah. you know what? It would all due respect, the Saudis have, have actually really appreciated golf here in America a lot to the point where, you know, I won't mention names, but I was, we were supposed to have a, a guest on our show. And one of their tournaments was, was sponsored by the Saudi League. And, and it was not only sponsored, it was funded by them. So they have a very big interest in U.S. golf. This is not something that's new that just came about because of DJ. It's been around for a while. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but I feel that a lot of times one of the things that here in America that we struggle with is supporting our own. Other countries, they support they support them, you know, themselves. Each one looks out for each other. And I feel as if here in America, you don't get that as much. Here's a situation where Dustin Johnson basically got a great opportunity to, to play someplace else. And I don't have any personal vendetta against the Saudis for political reasons, not get into politics. But, hey, if the check, if the check cashes, if the check clears, my man wanted $125 million. That's a lot of money to make on a PGA Tour. Unless you're Tiger Woods or somebody in that caliber, like one person made a point that they wanted to keep playing here on the PGA Tour because they wanted to build a legacy for themselves, just like Tiger with the Masters and the major tournaments. Because if, if DJ does play in the Saudi League, those stats are not counted here. And I say, look, if you want to copy Tiger and that's what you want to do, that's so be it. And if that's Tiger's decision to have all his records kept here in the U.S., that's his decision. DJ made his decision. And I can't really fault a guy for making a decision that's not popular. He, he, I know he had to think about this. He just got married. So, hey, he went ahead and took a great opportunity. No, that's, that's understandable. I, I see both sides of it, of course. Uh, I see it from the side of the criticism, and I see it from the side of him, you know, doing what he felt was best for himself. And, again, it's understandable on both sides. So, Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, I definitely would love to have DJ on, on to discuss his decision. And we can – he's a cool guy. I, I would love to see him again on PGA Tour for just because he was – Seem like a really cool guy down to earth. So <laughs> I would like to see him hopefully on a PGA tour in the U S sometime soon. Who knows? But there were some guys that were excited to get off the tour. Sergio Garcia is one of them. So to each his own, they, he, DJ wasn't the only one who took that, that opportunity. I hope people understand that too. Sergio Garcia and some other people that are maybe not as known or likable as DJ. But other people did take that opportunity too. And yeah, yeah. the other big news that did happen in the golf world this week was Deki Matsu, Matsuyama, who actually 
did win a major tournament and he he won the Masters. He won the Masters and got a green jacket sponsored by Sirixin. He got disqualified in the PGA tournament because he had what appeared to be whiteout on his driver. And that was a big, big story. I personally don't think Hideki was doing it to cheat per se. What I mean by cheat meaning putting whiteout on your driver will not give you ball distance. It won't give you more spin or anything like that. I, I understand because I play golf what he was trying to do. He basically was making sure that he painted the sweet spot of the, of the driver to make sure he hits that spot. If you're going to hit a ball far, you got to hit the driver right in the center. And that's what he was doing. You know, sometimes people spray foot spray on the driver just to make sure they're hitting the sweet spot or kind of like a visual aid. I get it. I don't think he was trying to cheat. However, he did leave the door open for perception of people thinking he was going to cheat. I don't think that's in his character, but I, I agree with the decision. I have to look at the photographs. Anytime you doctor your, your golf club in any way in a PGA tournament, you are basically, if you have it in your bag, the rule is this. If you have it in your bag, you're not right off the bat disqualified, but if you use it in play, you are disqualified. And that's what happened with him. He, he basically, by the time they had figured out that he used it, he had already used it to drive off one of the tees. And because of that, he was DQ'd. Had he, let's say, walk up to the tee and someone said to him, yo, you can't use that club, it still would have been fine. As long as you don't use it, you're not disqualified. So I agree with the decision. I just don't think he was trying to cheat. But he did open a door for people's perception that he's trying to cheat. And, and it's unfortunate. I, I, I agree with the rule. Yeah, it sounds to me like he had a mis, uh, misunderstanding. Um, maybe as well as he should have. And you're absolutely right. You know, when you, when you have a rule, even if you don't know about it, you are, if you get caught, you're going to pay the consequences or suffer the, the Um, So, you know, for him, I'm sure it's a lesson learned and, and he'll certainly never do that again. Um, it, it does uh, sink to a degree because, you know, obviously this is a guy who just uh, well, a year ago won the masters uh, in 2021. So, um, you know, that kind of, raises eyebrows and kind of raises some doubts in the back of people's minds uh, of the legitimacy of that win a year ago. I don't think there's anything more to it just being a misunderstanding, but um, you're right. It does start to draw questions. And that's something that I would, would be concerned about if it was me, because that's an integrity issue at that point. And then, you know, I certainly wouldn't want anybody questioning that. So. Exactly. And And that's the thing when you're an athlete, you have to always, I advise all people who are, play athletics, don't even be in the neighborhood, meaning don't be in a neighborhood where people can interpret what you're doing as trying to get a competitive edge or as a cheat. Because like you said, to your point, Eric, it's an integrity thing. I, I've watched Hideki. I don't think he was cheating. He, I just think he did open a door for people to perceive that he's cheating. And that's what you have to do. You cannot be in the neighborhood of people even thinking about your cheating Something of this nature, I would have told my caddy, don't even bring that with you. Like like me, being a guy who just want to make sure nobody's even questioning my integrity, I would even tell him, don't even carry that 
that club in the bag with us, like leave it in the car or leave it at home. You know, yeah. have another set of clubs, your practice clubs, and have another set that you play with. Don't bring that club out where people can get the misconception. Because he is sponsored by Sirixin, but people who don't know, he probably could ask for two or three drivers and they'll give it to him. Yeah, no, he, I'm sure he probably has that many too um, in his uh, in his uh, bag, or he has a separate bag for it, obviously. But yeah, usually a lot of guys will have um, you know, they will have multiple. Just like a baseball player has multiple uh, bats and multiple gloves, they're going to have the same thing in golf. You're going to have two or three, two or three of each club accessible because. On the tour, if something happens, you lose a club, you break a club, or something happens and it gets damaged, you got to have something to go back to. So it's not uncommon for that to be part of the practice, but you're absolutely right. That would be not necessarily equivalent, but in most people's minds, it would be having a corked bat. You know, it may not be something that he was using to try and get an, uh, an advantage with, but that perception, and the perception in the mind of most people is reality, that he was doing something that was a little bit questionable, and that brings your your integrity into uh, into play, and then it's fair game at that point. And you don't want to be thought of, especially if you won the Masters, uh, you know, a year and a half ago or a little over a year ago. You don't want that to be coming into question now. Was this a legitimate win? Because that's going to be the first thing on everybody's mind the next time you win a tournament. Exactly. You don't want you don't want somebody to discredit your hard work when you work really hard to win a Masters or any tournament. You don't want somebody to discount that hard work you put in by saying hey, he must have cheated because he did this. And you, as a competitor, may like, no, I won the tournament because I was better than everyone. That might, that's the truth. But if somebody who maybe is not as good as you or wish it was as good as you is going to use that as an, as a crippling, kind of like they're going to use that as a factor of why you won. They're going to use that as, oh, you won because you cheated or you won because you did that where that's not really the case. Don't give people that opportunity at all. Yeah, that's a good point. Exactly. And I did want to give an update real quick on the scores. The Rangers are up 3-1 to one in the period three with six, little over six minutes to go. So Tampa, Tampa Bay got to do something quick. They got to do something quick. You know, I just think... I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but do you think this the long layoff the Lightning had played a factor in this series? Oh, very well could have. I mean, both teams had a, a little bit of a, uh, a gap or a buffer between series. That's not uncommon in the NHL, just the way it goes sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I, if they're down two games tonight after this game tonight, it's really going to put them in a tough position. I wouldn't rule them out. Uh, certainly, they're they're a good team. They have been there before. They've battled back from being down, but that means that game three is definitely a must-win because coming back down three games to none is next to impossible. Yeah, you you definitely right there. It's not panic time. Still win. The Yankees are a team that have been down 0-2. Unfortunately, gets your Braves and came back and won. So teams have came back from 0-2 holes to come back and make adjustments to win if they do go down 0-2. But yes, you you. You're getting to put it like this. You're getting to the point of no return. I'll put it like that. It's still, it's never over till it's over. But yeah, you're digging you a deep hole at that point. 
you're digging yourself in a deep hole. You know, you don't want to be in that position. But teams have won down 0-3. But, yeah, you definitely don't want to put yourself in that position. I'll say it like that. But it's still yeah. time left. It's it's 3-1. Now 5 minute 40 seconds in period three. So they need to do something quick. They be in the lightning if they want to win this game. And I, I did want to update the fans on boxing. On, on, I did want to say that there's a huge fight, for those who don't know, between George Cambosa Jr. versus Devin Haney, and this fight is being held in Australia. It's a huge fight because the reason why it's a huge fight is because George Cambosa Jr. is the undisputed lightweight champion, and he's fighting, and he's fighting Devin Haney. Devin Haney is going to be fighting in Australia for these belts, so he's going to be fighting kind of like on enemy territory. Let me give you my thoughts on this fight. I would say this much, that I think Cambosis Jr. really did not want to fight Devin Haney. The reason why I say this is because every single request was for Cambosis Jr. favor. And Haney basically said yes to everything, and I think the reason why Cambosis gave all these requests was because he was hoping along the way that Devin Haney said no and said, nah, you know what, I'm not going to do it. Devin Haney really wants to be the undisputed champion, so he agreed to all of the requests, even when he thought they were out- outrageous. I looked at the purse. George Cambosis Jr. is going to make over $10 million. Devin Haney is going to make little less than three. So that's like 70, 30 money, which is not really fair in most cases, especially when Devin Haney has a belt. So, but Devin Haney really wants to win and become undisputed. It's really about legacy for him. He said that than it is for money. Having said that, if Devin Haney really wants to win this fight, I have here what he needs to do to win. And here's my key to victory if Devin Haney wants to win this fight. He has to keep throwing the jab. He has to keep throwing that jab. He has a very, very good jab. He has to keep throwing it out there. He also has to keep his right hand up while throwing his hook. He has a tendency by watching his fights to lower his right hand when he's throwing a hook, which leaves him wide open for a counter counter hook, a counter punch. And that could be definitely a big mistake if he gets hit with the right punch. Another thing he has to do, Devin Haney, to win, he cannot get into a brawl. The Cambosis team has done everything they can and everything they possibly can to get in his head. Devin Haney has to stay composed because if they frustrate you and you get into a brawl, you're not going to end up winning this fight. And another thing is he, Devin Haney has to have his head movement really good. He has to go upstairs and downstairs, go into the body, go into the head, back and forth, up and down. And last but not least, because you are fighting in Australia, don't expect if the fight is somewhat close, reasonably close for you to get the decision. You have to either stop George Cambosis or you have to dominate. Simple as that. You must stop or dominate. I know that's unfair being that you're fighting a guy who's a very good fighter. But if you want to win these belts, you cannot 
absolutely cannot make it somewhat close because you are not going to probably win a decision, especially being that George Cambosis, not only is he fighting in his hometown, but he has the belts. Generally, when judges rank belts, uh, rank decisions, when the guy has belts already, if it's somewhat close, they usually don't give it to the challenger. So if you're Devin Haney, you got to come out aggressive. You got to dominate. You don't want to be wild with your aggression because Teofimo Lopez, who lost all his belts to Cambosis, did that and it didn't work. You have to be very smart and aggressive and you have to keep your composure. You cannot let them get in your head because if you make this into a wild out fight, you're not going to win. You have to stick with the jab, stick with your fundamentals, keep throwing it high and low and try to make the fight as clean as you can. And you have to dominate. You have to try to stop them. You cannot coast any rounds. A person, you know, who did that was Jacob. He fought in another man's country. I thought he won the fight. I even predicted he was going to win the fight, but he did coast the last five, six rounds. His output really went down a lot. And because the fight was somewhat close, I knew he was not going to get the decision. And lo and behold, he did not. So you do not put it in the judge's hand. Try to stop him or dominate it and make it. You have to do the 80-20 rule like they do in sales. You have to win 80% and have the other guy win 20%. You got to do 80-20 rule. It's not fair. This is what happens. What are your thoughts, Aaron? No, I think that's a great a great point there. Um to get, keeping things in perspective, really, more than anything else. But that, I, I, you couldn't have said it any. I, I couldn't put any better than you just said it there. That's basically taking the words right out of my mouth. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I do think Devin Haney is going to win this fight, but I, I say that his margin of error is very thin, and he definitely has to keep that right hand up when he's throwing his hook because I did notice that. I did scout him. And I did see that he drops this hand a lot. And he does leave himself open for a couple of good counter punches. So if this is a brawl, you're not going to win. But I do have Devin Haney winning this fight by unanimous decision. And I think he has the goods to win this fight. He, he could get a stoppage, too. I wouldn't be surprised with stoppage. But the main thing is going to be composure. One of the things that a lot of people didn't realize is about this fight was that Devin Haney's coach is his dad his trainer up until the last 24 48 hours they did not even allow his dad to come overseas because of something that happened many many years ago and the last 24 to 40 hours they agreed that he could come over so at least Devin Haney is going to have his, his trainer there and his dad there in Australia I interview a lot of Australian boxers and Devin Haney got to fight the fight of his life he cannot think – and another thing is there's a rematch clause, meaning if Cambosis loses fight, they have to do a rematch. I would not even think about the rematch right now. I would just – if I'm Devin Haney, I'm thinking about winning this fight and getting out of there in one piece without you getting hurt by somebody in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I got to say, though, that I kind of do wish, I said this earlier in the show, that I wish people in America would support their people more like they do in other countries. Australia is way behind Cambosis Jr., his whole country. So if it's relatively close or somewhat close, Devin Haney is not going to win this fight. I'll tell you that right now. Even if, he's, even if it's 
I still would not think Devin Hanley is going to win this fight. He's got to dominate 80-20, 80-20 rule. He cannot coast any rounds if he wants to win. I got Devin Haney winning this fight, and we will see what happens tomorrow. But it should be a very good fight. I wanted to keep people updated, too. Cambosa Jr. did not make weight up until an hour ago. He missed weight by like .36 of a pound. He had two hours to make weight. He did make weight. This whole promotion has been a circus. So the fight is on. The fight's going to go on. And the belts are at stake. I got Devin Haney winning. But we will see what happens tomorrow. No, it should be a great fight there for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, any other news that you wanted to bring up? You did want to bring something else up. I almost forgot. Yeah, and I think I may have forgotten, too. Um, <laughs> for, <laughs> <memory> here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh, yes, that's right. Okay, I was racking my brain there. Yeah, so this generation's version of Steve DeBerg, um, who, of course, if anybody doesn't know who Steve DeBerg is, and you're probably younger than 20 or 25. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, 17 years in the NFL as a journeyman quarterback, um, started a few times folks, with Miami, a bunch of teams over the years. He announced his retirement today. Um, unlike Tom Brady, I don't think he's going to be coming back. I think he's done for good. Um, late 30s at this point. He might even be 40 now. Um, he, again, announced his retirement today. So I want to say congratulations to him. He had a, a remarkable career. I mean, even though he wasn't a starter uh, for the majority of his career, he was depth as a quarterback. And he was a serviceable backup. He had some really good games. Uh, during his career. So congratulations to him. I, I see him as a guy who will probably do one or two things if he continues his career in football. He'll either be a broadcaster of some sort, analyst, or I could see him maybe even getting into coaching and being like a quarterback coach or an offensive coordinator at some point down the line. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think Ryan Fitzpatrick, man, this is a guy who really enjoyed every moment of playing football. Fun guy to be around. And best congratulations. Beard, best beard in football, too, by the way. Just throw that out there. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Not that yeah, matters, he, but. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think he's doing a Tom Brady. I think I think he's he's retiring, He and that's it. And, you know, he played for a lot of teams. He stuck around like a journeyman. And you got to give him man props because a lot of people don't, don't go through that journey. You know, they get traded a couple times. They, they get put on the bench. They're not the starter. Their mind starts wondering, hey, I think I should be doing something else with my time. They got money in the bank. And that's what they do. But you know what? Ryan Fitzpatrick made it 17 years in the league. You got to – I mean, you know what? He's the definition of grinder. My man grinded it out. And you know what? He He's had some flashes of greatness. It's crazy that as people don't know, you know, he he's had some flashes. You know, when he was with the Bucks, I mean, he he made. I mean, he was he was on fire. He was my fantasy. He was my fantasy quarterback. So yeah, no, I mean, he he had some he had some really bright moments. Absolutely, you're you're correct about that, and. You know, he was the guy that Tampa used uh, before Brady got there. So, you know, they, he, I guess you could say one, 
one old guy kept the seat warm for the other um, <laughs> in, in that respect. So, <laughs> yeah, what you're right about that. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, he had great chemistry with uh, the former Eagles player. His name slipped my mind. Just on, just on. That's right. Just on, just on Jackson, Jackson, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, him and Deshaun Jackson, man, when he was – Deshaun Jackson was playing for the Bucks, and Ryan Fitzpatrick was a starting quarterback, they had great chemistry. And, man, that was – that was he lit it up. He'd throw that deep ball to, to Deshaun Jackson, and he would, he would just catch it. It was fun to watch, man. I'm going to miss Ryan Fitzpatrick. And this guy, he was a character both on and off the, off the field. Yeah, I give him a lot of credit because he, had, like you said before, to your point, uh, he had a lot of fun with, with um, you know, being a little bit of a celebrity to some degree. Um, and you know, you look at, uh, as I mentioned before, that excellent beard that he had um, when he first came up. There was a picture on Facebook today. I didn't realize he had started with the Giants back in I think it was 2005. Unrecognizable what he looked like back then versus what he looked like here uh, at the end of his career. So. But again, congratulations! What a what a great career! You get an opportunity to, to kind of be you're kind of the um, the uncle of the football team in a sense because you know you're, you're the fun uncle, if you will. You're not the guy who always runs the team as a quarterback, but you you get a chance to run it a little bit during the season when the normal starter is injured, and you get to come in and have fun with it, and then talk about it a lot afterwards. So that that's definitely a fun uh, fun place or fun position to be. It is, you know, he, he definitely was living life and enjoying life while he was playing football. And if anything, he was the anti-Tom Brady, meaning Tom Brady's all business when he that when it comes to football. That is, when he's playing football, he he's he's pretty serious. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was a breath of fresh air, just living life to the fullest. You know, <laughs> can you imagine Tom Brady wearing just on Jackson's gear at a press conference? <laughs> <laughs> I can't see that happening. Maybe Gronk's, but not a. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can see Gronk doing it. Jackson, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doing it. He won't fit in it, but I could, I could see him doing yeah. it. A little bit, a uh, little bit big on him for sure. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, great show here tonight. Uh, great show here tonight. Uh, glad we were able to get everything in. Uh, a lot of sports news to to have uh, spoken about here this evening. I uh, want to thank uh, uh, Lou, of course, for calling in. I also want to thank our excellent sponsor, Chef G, and the excellent barbecue sauce. Um, we certainly love that stuff. It's terrific. If you haven't gotten uh, a chance to purchase any yet, I believe – did I see that the the, the four-pack was sold out this week? That's how popular this stuff is. is it was the, sold out? Um, yeah, I believe, That's right. I believe I saw that. Yeah, I believe I saw and that. And not only that, my son even asked me today, you know how great his stuff is? This Chef G's barbecue sauce – my son said today's the third on your post. You said that it would be back in stock on the third, so it's back in stock. Oh, it is. Okay, good, good. All right. Well, I'm glad that's yes. the case for sure. So good to have, um, good to have it back. And definitely, if no one uh, or if anyone out there has not yet uh, had a chance to uh, to try it, it is remarkable. Uh, all the flavors are great, um, and you don't have to just have barbecue for it. I like to put it on uh, French fries and a variety of other things uh, as well. So even you could put it in your salad if you really wanted to. So get yourself a bottle, get yourself all four, try them out. Tell us how you think uh, they taste. And, um, you know, we'll let Chef G know. And we thank him for his uh, for his loyal sponsorship to our program. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. Get yourself a bottle or all four pack. 
and I'm just glad that we have this tremendous partnership with Chef G's. It's it's a partnership. We're not going to the Saudi League just yet. <laughs> We're not losing our sponsorship. We're you know if we go to Saudi League, Chef G is coming with us. <laughs> All right. Well, great program. We'll be back with everyone again next week. Uh, we want to thank our listeners. If you missed any portion of our show tonight, you're in luck. We are on. Uh, on uh, iHeartRadio, you can play back uh, not only tonight's program, but you can listen to any of our previously show, uh, previously uh, aired shows in the archives. Um, just check them out. Uh, usually we have a title listed in there, so you'll know uh, right about what we're speaking about. But, uh, again, for, uh, for Lou and for Alan, this is Aaron signing off here tonight. Have a great evening, everybody. Thank you. Listening to the Evan and Aaron's Four Star Podcast. <laughs> Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you. <laughs>